Romans, the 15th chapter, and the 7th verse, we'll read through verse number 13. Verse number 13 being the major focus this morning. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse number 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the Gentiles, or for the truth of God, sorry, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you. Think about that. The God of hope filling you. There's no other reason why we're filled than the God of hope. There's no other reason why you have the love of God in your heart other than the fact that this same God has filled you. There's no other reason that you have joy that we have mentioned here. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy other than the fact that God has filled you. And even the next thing, peace. How is it that you have peace? Because God has filled you with peace. But it's this all, being filled with all joy and peace in believing. You know, why do you believe? I talked to a man this week on one of the crews, and um, he was recounting to me, because I've said some things to him about the Lord, <clears throat> he was recounting to me about how many places he's worked, and it seems like everywhere he's gone that there's always been somebody that said something to him about the Lord. And I said, well, I'm a little fearful for you if you haven't turned to the Lord that you've been warned so many times. But I said to him also, just knowing some things about God is not enough. Knowing him, yeah, that's what's important. I said, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Ask every one of you, why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? I used to come to church because my mom and dad brought me. Mm -hmm. But better still, whenever I wanted to go, when I wanted to hear, when I wanted to know what it was that God had to say unto me, and not only that, but I wanted to obey what God said unto me. For this purpose, that I might glorify him, right? So, there was something done for me. God filled me with that, or that wouldn't have been there, right? Because naturally speaking, what are we? Hmm? Dead in trespasses and sins, what else? Our righteousness is filthy rags. What else? 
at enmity with God, yeah. And all, all of those things, you know, uh, it's the same thing, enemies and enmity. It's just my mind, it's, it's this that I cut my teeth on, you know, that King James Version, you know, it's enmity, it's there. Um, but that's what that means, enemies, enemies of God, yeah. <clears throat> so except God fill us, we're not going to have those things. How is it that God fills us? Listen to what it says. Let's read beginning the, the beginning of verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I told you, Brother Johnny's going to preach at the Assembly of God. That man asked Brother Johnny, he said, have you got the Holy Ghost? Mm-hmm. Have you got the Holy Ghost? Yeah, not in the way they say, right? You know, but we we do have the Holy Spirit, do we not? If we did not, then we could not be filled with these things, and we could not abound in our hope in these things. You know, that's that's verse thirteen. Okay. Now we've been talking about being one, right? I mean, last week we ended in verse number six. What did it say there? that we with one mind and one mouth may glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins in verse number 7, he says, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What kind of people were coming together here? Hmm? We don't think about it a whole lot, do we? We think about us coming together. But think about the early church. Think about the kind of people that were coming together here. I mean, there was Jew and there was Gentile, you know. And with one mouth, they were to glorify God, right? So now that I've tried to set your thoughts upon these verses a little bit, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then I'll let you be seated and we'll get into the message. Brother Jerry, would you pray for us? Father, indeed, we do come before you this morning. Asking you if you would bless our brother this morning as he stands there and proclaims your word. <laughs> Father, we do have hope. We're looking forward to the, uh, that day when we will stand before you and be with you in glory. Yes. But Father, we ask your blessings upon him. <laughs> that he might have the very words that each one of us needs to hear. Father, we ask for your blessings upon that word whatever it might be. Forgive us of our many shortcomings, and we just thank you. Thank you that each one of us is here today. Yes. For those that are not here, belong to the body of these believers here, Father, we just pray, dear Heavenly Father, that each one of us, wherever we might go in this life, that we may honor and glorify thy precious word, thyself. We pray these things in your name, Saints. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, Brother Jerry mentioned those who aren't here. Who's not here that you're praying for? Hmm. Brother Bruce is not here. Who else? Sister Joyce is not here. Who else? Hmm. Taryn Heath. Hmm. Rick. Who else? Steve. So, remember these in prayer. I mean, I don't, 
You, you do pray for one another, don't you? I don't, I don't know how you do it, but I'm, I'm usually starting right here on this side, and I'm going down, and I'm hitting each one because I know where you sit. You know, I don't want to miss anybody, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so pray for one another. Well, we want to consider for a moment the differences between Jew and Gentile. I mean, you think about some of the things that in their former lives before they came to Christ, you think about what that might have looked like between them, right? Um, vast difference of opinion about things of one another, especially. Um, now these people are gathering together as one, one mind, one mouth, glorifying God. What was, what was it the Jew thought about the Gentile? Dog. You're no better than a dog. And the dogs in that day aren't like all the little subdivisions that I go in, the jobs that we do, and people are walking around, these little bitty things on a leash, you know, and, it's, and it's their, their, they treat it like their child, you know, or their grandchild, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that would, have been, that would have been welcome, you know, to be treated that way in that day. But, you know, dogs in this day were scavengers, nuisances. I mean, if you had a, if you had a, I'm, I'm sorry, Sister Carolyn, I'm sorry, Delina, but in that day, if you'd had, you know, a gun, you know, you would have shot them, you know. I mean, you got children that are playing, and those dogs are carrying disease, and and uh, they may attack one of the children, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, this is the idea of a dog, you know, that they were, that they were using towards. Uh, the Gentile. I mean, you think about the Lord's usage of the term. I mean, he used that one time, didn't he? Remember the Canaanite woman? She comes to the Lord, wants just the crumbs that fall from the master's table. It's not meat to give children's bread unto dogs. Now, was the Lord advocating that we should take upon ourselves, you know, a derogatory term like that as Gentiles, that we should regard ourselves as dogs? No. Um, it's, I, I think that was similar to when you have the Samaritan woman and the Lord goes and asks her for a drink. And she's like, what? You, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? You know, um, It was that sort of thing. I mean, here she was, and that's what the Jewish mindset was towards her. It certainly wasn't what the Lord's was towards her. Uh, her faith was being tested, to be sure. But it wasn't what the Lord's mindset was towards her. But the Jews, yes. Uh, a Jew would not even consider entering into your house for fear of what? Becoming unclean. Right? They would become unclean. Just like touching a dead body. You know, they would become unclean. Uh, Peter's, you know, encounter with Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Gentiles, on the other hand, thought of the Jews as probably a weird bunch of people. All these dietary laws, the strictness of this and that, and it didn't help that they called them dogs, you know. Um, so, you know, that was a problem there. So there are prejudices that existed on both sides, but these attitudes previously held towards one another now coming together in Christ and being one mind and one mouth 
to glorify God. Colossians 3.11 speaks about it. It says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Now, you have the Jew being glad they're not a Greek, and you have the Greek being glad they're not a barbarian, you know. But where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So Christ was in them all, and Christ was all unto them. Those former things had passed away. All things had become new, right? So one of them at that very moment, as this letter is being read to the church, you know, may have been sitting beside a barbarian or a Scythian, may have been sitting beside one of their own people who had turned tax collector like Matthew, now seated beside them, you know, in the worship service. I heard yesterday about a, a drug enforcement agent turned preacher who came to preach at a church, and there were some people that he had convicted on a drug charge years before. And yet afterwards, they had, you know, fellowship one with another around Christ. I was at a Bible conference once where there was a German man and there was a Jewish man. And Brother John, Don Johnson got up and said, these two men have fellowship in Christ, even though, you know, his forefathers slaughtered this people, you know. Um, so here they're rejoicing in the same salvation, They're praising the name of the same Savior who redeemed them both from their sins, which would have condemned them both to hell for all eternity. So, I mean, to give an idea of the vast difference, I mean, you think about Pharisees and their self-righteousness, and here comes, you know, the Greeks that they consider, you know, barbarians, the Pharisee that drew near to God with his mouth, but his heart was far from God. The Scythian, I was telling the girls something about this yesterday, I had listened to a message this week, and a man was talking about Scythians, so I went and looked it up myself. He said that they would take the, the, the heads of their enemies and use their skulls for drinking cups. Well, I found out more than that. They would take their scalps and use them for napkins. So that's a Scythian. No more Greek, no more barbarian, no more Jew, no more Scythian, all one, you know, in Christ. Um, some of those people, apparently there were some Scythians, Paul talks about them, they're in Colossians, apparently there were some Scythians who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Subdued by the power of the gospel and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So think of those things in light of the command here that we're given What was it in the very first verse that we read? Let's look at it again. Verse number seven, wherefore receive you one another. That takes on a little bit different light, doesn't it? And you put a face on some of the people that were there present. Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us unto the glory of God. The Lord had received them. How about you? Is the Lord more ready to receive some people than you are and I are? I fear so. I fear the Lord's more ready to receive some people than you and I are. But thinking about these differences and thinking about receiving, and you think about places like in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, 
Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, that is with Peter, insomuch that Barnabas himself also was carried away with their dissimulation. Acts 6, verse number 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. More willing to receive than we can be. But here, all of us are lumped into the same lump, aren't we? I mean, yes, God first brought the oracles, you know, unto his people, unto the Jewish people, chose this nation. Why? Because they were greater than any other nation? No, because they were the smallest. You know, it was the weakest. It was the smallest in number that God would use. And doesn't that make sense from what Brother JT was telling us this morning? This is our God, right? That he would take the small and that he would do mighty things to where people could see that it's not the small that did it, it's God that did it, right? Or he would raise up a mighty like Pharaoh, like Brother JT mentioned, and then bring him to nothing, showing that it's not the might of men, you know, either. Uh, The might of men can't withstand the power of God. But none of us is righteous. That's what Romans 3 tells us, right? Romans 3, 9 says, what then? Are we better than they? Isn't that an interesting question to ask in light of what we're talking about, about receiving people? What then are we better than they? No and no wise. This is Paul speaking. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. We're all in the same boat. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. How is it that you have? How is it that you've sought after God? Well, it goes back to this verse number 13 bit and this idea of us being filled, right? We were given faith. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. That is the gift of God. Grace has come unto us. Faith has come unto us that we might have this believing, that we might have this joy, that we might have this peace that we're talking about in verse number 13. Verse 12 says, they're all gone out of the way. They're all are together become unprofitable. There is none good, no, not one. All have sinned. Ephesians 2.11 says, wherefore remember that you were in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. There was a time when we too were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. And I've got to read this far to get to this, this word because it's the word that we're talking about today. You know what comes next? Having what? No hope. Having no hope. And without God in the world. That was us. At one time we were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Going back to this receiving one another, right? He is our peace, who hath made both one, that is Jew and Gentile, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity. There's not just enmity against God, there was enmity against one another. That was broken down, that was done away with. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself 
of the two, one new man so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. Now, the afar off, who's that? Gentiles. Those who are nigh who? The Jew, right? Okay. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, right? Of two, one, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We were strangers to those things before, but now we've been brought in. We've been brought in. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So all these differences coming together as one, one mind, one mouth, glorifying God. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. Right? There is neither bond nor free. Were some Christians slaves? Yeah. Others were free. Neither male nor female. It's not just men that are saved, but women, you know. I mean, I know it doesn't resonate much with us, but you think about the way that women were treated in some of these places. Um, No wonder Paul says, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Brother J.T. said this morning, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What's going to happen, Brother J.T., if I get cross with that woman in regards to my prayers? What does the Bible say about that? Hmm? What? Not going to be heard. Does the Lord regard her? Yes, greatly. His own child. Yeah, yeah. If, if I were to mistreat any of you, is God going to take that lightly? No, we're to receive one another, right? I mean, what if the Lord, you, you refuse someone and the Lord receives them? What does it say about you? What does it say about me? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Right? And heirs according to the promise. Ephesians 3, 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now, doesn't mean that it, that it wasn't there. God had spoken it all along. But as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. They, some of them thought they had it all locked up. You know, there wasn't anything you know, for anybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they make that boast, yeah. <laughs> that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, that's, that's the first part of what we were reading there in Romans 15. You know, talking about, you know, here's, here's receiving one another. You know, here's the, the Gentile who, who would come to trust in the name of the Lord. You know, here's this barbarian and Scythian sitting right next to the Jew, you know, in the assembly as they've assembled themselves together, having the same need 
For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Having the same hope that abounds in Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not just hope that's mentioned in verse number 13. And look what it says there. Look at it with me. Verse number 13. Now, the God of hope, where does hope come from? It comes from God. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may, what? Abound in hope. It's not just hope, but it's an abounding hope. Um, I was listening to Brother Charles Leiter preach this week, and he was talking about he was over in Romania, and his and his 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 um, the, the fellow pastor had gone come back to the states, and the place that they were renting and staying while they were there, it was it was in a in a coffee shop. Actually, I guess they were living maybe over the top of the coffee shop, and he was there sweeping, and he said all of the sudden. The Lord overwhelmed him, we could say in the sense of verse number 13, filled him with the sense of this thought. Not that he didn't know it already, but he was just overwhelmed by it. In other words, abounding, and that is this, that he was a child of God. Behold what manner of love, right? That I should be called a child of God, right? He was overwhelmed with that. He was filled with that. What a wonderful thing that is. My girls were talking yesterday about uh, a, a quote that Spurgeon um, made. He said, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. That's what these people had. That's what they had. They were all in the same boat. We said last week that this idea of hope in the Bible is not, well, I hope so. You know, you think about what, what a wonderful word hope is and how that we can continually and constantly use that in a negative sense. I hope so. That's a negative sense that we're using the word hope in. That's not the biblical use, use of the word hope. When you talk about hope in the Bible, it's not a maybe, right? <clears throat> you talk about what God has done for us in Christ and what awaits us the glory that, that awaits us, that place that's reserved in heaven for you, kept by the power of God, this hope is what? Steadfast and sure. I mean, it's yours. You're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for it. It's not a negative thing, right? Well, I hope you're not going to wear that. You know, that's a negative way to use hope too, right? Really kind of an expression of doubt. <clears throat> I hope we get to go. We've said that before. You know, what's a better way to say that? The Lord willing, we'll be there, right? But I hope we get to go. That's not the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is a confident expectation. Why? Because we're filled with that hope by the Holy Ghost, right? A confident expectation of that which we will receive, we just don't have yet. We receive the earnest, right? of our inheritance. There's a much larger portion that's coming. Now, my aunt's in real estate, and people buy something, they put down earnest money. And it's a very small portion compared to the entire purchase price, right? It's a down payment, as it were. Now, we, we have much more to come. The best is yet to come, Right? There's much more to be had, much more that awaits. 
this confident expectation of that which we will receive. Why? Why will we receive it? Because God has said so. And we talked about that last week, that there's no variableness. And we have things in our homes that are variable, don't we? I mean, you can even invest in a variable annuity, you know, but, but we have variable things at home. They have different speeds, right? Fan high, low, medium, you know, they're variable. The temperatures are variable, you know. God's the same. You want to think, what's God's temperature? Holy. Yeah, it doesn't wax and wane, you know. It doesn't increase and de- decrease. No, He's Holy. His love is a holy love. All the attributes that there are of God, we could put that in front of, couldn't we? They're they're, they're perfectly holy. Uh, They're complete. Um, So, yes, and I have that. Uh, That's 2 Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God in him are yea and amen unto the glory of God by him, right? So, we have this hope because the one who's promised is God. God promised. It's not, it's not me making a promise to Brother Jerry. Well, next Saturday he's going to do this something, and I've, I said, well, I'll be there. Well, I could say that, and something happened, I'll not be there. But that didn't happen with God. That didn't happen with God. He is able to complete that which he's committed himself unto. If he makes a promise... He can speak in terms that we can't, right? God speaks in absolutes. We can't speak in absolutes. You know, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, I can't, I can't say that for sure. The Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, if we had planned on meeting tomorrow, but I can't speak in absolutes, but God can. Yeah. So with him, there's no variableness. There's no alteration. There's no, not even a shadow of turning. You think about it another way, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Scripture says. So this hope that is described here is, it, it's an abounding hope. Why? Because it's sure. It's a sure thing. Uh, how many things are sure, you know, in this life? This is sure. A confident, joyful expectation Think about the two words that are used here, joy and peace, in verse number 13. It's a joyful expectation because it's sure. I have peace because it's sure. You know, I I can be at peace with what God, God has said this is going to be so. I don't have to worry about it. It's going to be so because God said it's going to be so. So it's a hope that is abounding, an abounding hope. We're waiting for what is already ours, a great salvation that is, it's ready. The Scripture says it's ready to be revealed. It's ready. There's hope there. There's an abounding hope. You know, Peter calls it a lively hope. That word lively, what does that mean? Living. It's a living hope. It's not a dead letter. This is a living hope, you know, unto us here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. What kind of an inheritance, Cohen? It's an inheritance that's incorruptible. There's probably some things that Cohen had when he was younger that were his favorite things. They might have broken. 
during the course of it being his favorite thing and being used so much, it might have broken. I just like to use you for an illustration, Cohen. Do you have a favorite thing? Did it last? Those things don't last. They're temporal. They're not eternal. But the eternal things, the things of God, nothing's going to corrupt them. It's not going to be corrupted. Incorruptible, undefiled. It can't be defiled. A man could take a knife and he could use it to, you know, carve a turkey back here. He could take it to kill a man. He's now defiled, you know, that thing and its purpose. But we have its undefiled that doesn't fade away. How many things have faded that we've had? Get a brand new car, eventually the paint fades. The interior fades. Um, that truck that I drive, I'm sure when it was, when it was first bought, you know, I didn't, I didn't purchase it new. You know, it was, it was, it was handed, you know, down to me. I used it as, as a work, as a company truck, but it had, it has leather interior. You know, I'm sure it was expensive. And now it's cracked. It's faded, you know. But this, this is, this is the work of God. It doesn't fade. It doesn't fade. We're not going to get to heaven and be there for 10,000 years and say, you know, the, the glory of all these things just faded for me. You know, not at all, right? That's, that's not the way God's things work. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And not just that, but you, it's, be, it's, it's, it's been prepared for you. It's ready for you, ready to be revealed, right? But you're being kept for it. That's what Peter goes on to say, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So no wonder it's an abounding hope. It's a lively hope, this hope, imperishable, because given by him who cannot lie, who cannot fail. It's incorruptible, undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us, and we're kept for it. Do we have not cause to call it an abounding hope? Absolutely we do. A living hope, a lively hope. I ask you, is it living and breathing in you this morning? Are you, are you looking for that day? I mean, Brother JT said we're living in the last days. We have been living in the last days, right? Are you looking? Are you praying? Are you waiting for the Lord's coming? Yeah? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Is it living and breathing within you this morning? Is it invigorating you? Hmm? Is it putting strength? We, one of the hymns we sung this morning, talk, it talked about putting strength in every stride. This abounding hope ought to put a spring in your step, spiritually speaking. You know, some of us may not be too springy anymore, you know, but it ought to put a spring in your step, spiritually speaking. Does this hope exert a vital power upon the soul, refreshing, strengthening? Is it effective, active, and powerful in you and me? This living hope is the link between our present and our future, right? Where we are right now and where we will be, it's the link between this abounding hope is a link between the two. What would we do without such hope? Where would we be this morning without such hope. 
You think about the hopes of men. Time destroys the hopes of men outside of Christ. It destroys them. They fade away. They die. How many have hoped in riches? How about the rich man? What did the Lord say to him You know, in Luke 12, 20? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Remember, he was the man that said you know, that he had so many goods, you know, he's going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. For what shall it profit a man, Mark eight thirty six, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would we do without such an abounding hope, without such a living hope? That really, honestly, we could say the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, right? Well, peace, joy, everything that we could, I mean, think about the fruits of the Spirit. Those are shed abroad, you know, within you by the Spirit of God. Um, you know, this hope that we have is not, you know, I cross my fingers and I hope so. No, it's, it's sure. It's certain. As certain as the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That's how certain when you think about life without Christ, what a hopeless end that would be. But life in Christ is the opposite, right? What would that be? An endless hope, right? An endless hope. Thomas Brooks said this about hope. He said, hope can allow us to see heaven through the thickest clouds. A ray of hope. I saw yesterday as I was driving, uh, you know, that it was cloudy, and you could see this one beam of sunshine coming through, you know. Spurgeon said, oh, what a blessed hope this is, that though we fall asleep, we shall surely wake again, and when we awaken, it will be in the likeness of Christ. And we ourselves shall be heirs of his inheritance in which there will be no sin and no corruption. That inheritance is kept for us and we are kept for it. So he says, the keeping is doubly sure. Kept for us and we're kept for it. So Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What's that a picture of? I mean, men in those days, didn't wear trousers like we do. They had flowing garments, and if they were going to run a foot race, they're going to have to gather up the edges. I mean, I've, I've got a cuff on the bottom of these pants, and, and this morning I had to turn them up because they were trying to turn under my heel, Brother Jerry, and that's kind of making it hard to walk because I'd step on it, and then it'd pull on my pants leg, you know. And you think about those fellas having to gather up you know, their, their, their skirt, so to speak, in a sense. I mean, the garment, so that they could run. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, doubts and fears assailing us. Gird these things up in this abounding hope. He says, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are we hoping towards that day? <laughs> hoping towards that day, looking towards that day, anticipating that day. What's the opposite of hope? Despair. The opposite of hope is despair. And that's all a man can know outside of Christ. I mean, I don't, I don't, they can, they can say they have hope, but they don't have any hope. How quickly, if they say they have hope, how quickly will hell extinguish that hope? You remember that book, Dante's Inferno, and you remember that sign that there was, all ye who enter here, what were they supposed to abandon? 
Hmm? All hope, right? Abandon all hope, you know, ye who enter here. How quickly will hell consume whatever hope men may think they have outside of Christ? I mean, think about the rich man, just one drop of water. You know, how much did he have before? How, mu- how, much, how much did he take stock in all those things before? And here he was reduced and held asking for one drop of water. Paul defines our hope in 1 Timothy 1.1, saying it this way, Christ Jesus who is our hope. So genuine biblical hope is not just a concept. It's not a thought, but it is a reality in the person of Jesus Christ. What a glorious hope this is that we have. It's an abounding hope. Not just a hope, it's an abounding hope. It's a lively hope. It's what we've been talking about. Listen to the psalmist. And you think about this idea of hope. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 43.5. Brother JT read this to us not long ago. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. What's going to extinguish being cast down? What's going to help us when we're disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And Brother JTR told us this morning how quickly our resolve diminishes. How quickly our resolve extinguishes. Our reserves are gone, but we can abound in this hope. It, 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 it doesn't fade. It's not, it, it can't be corrupted. It can't be defiled. You know, it's complete. It's sure. One day we will see him in all of his glory. But until that day, we abound in hope. You think about Job. Everything the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he even went so far as to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He was abounding in hope, wasn't he? You know, where did the hope come from? It was shed abroad in his heart by the Spirit of God. Surely, surely it was. The Christian hope is the hope of a time when even the possibility of sinning, I've told you before, it's one of my favorite descriptions of heaven. It's a place where righteousness dwells. The possibility of sinning is gone. No more. Incorruptible. Undefiled. Right? The coming of our Savior, the redemption of our bodies, and our eternal glory. It's an abounding hope. To be sure. And I'll go back with you to the fourth verse of Romans 15 when he said, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. So God's the source. It says right there in verse number 13, the God of hope. He's the source of such an abounding hope given unto us by his Spirit. Think about this. I said all that, now listen to this. Is it any wonder that when we willfully sin against God and grieve and quench the Spirit, that our hope wanes, flags, fails, right? To the point that we can even question our own salvation. You've been there before, haven't you? Yeah. 
How vitally important then that we quickly confess and repent of our sins against him. That we might be restored to that place. You think about David, you know, I mean, he was, he was in the Psalms, I mean, he was just heartbroken. And, and he was so discouraged. And, and you hear him saying things like, you know, why art thou disquieted with hope in God? You know, but he had to find that hope again, you know. Restore unto me, right? What? The joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He was asking for. Therefore, if we would abound in hope, we must, Hebrews 12, 1, lay aside every weight of sin that so easily besets us, right? Yeah? How about 1 Peter 2, 11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, right? We need to pray without ceasing. We need to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart unto the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I mean, this, that's like the opposite of the other where we've willfully sinned against God. You know, we've, we've done this thing and our hope begins to wane, right? The opposite of that would be these things, praying without ceasing. Would be, you know, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Rejoicing. Aren't we commanded to do so? Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. How much better does your day go when you begin it in prayer? When you begin it rejoicing and entering into his, thanks, his courts with thanksgiving and praising him throughout the day and rejoicing him throughout the day. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we sh- he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him, what? Anybody? purifies himself even as he is pure. So what's, what's this hope going to do? Hmm? What's it going to generate? This right here. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is a pure. First Thessalonians 5.8 says, But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. What's that helmet look like? It's the hope of salvation. Um, you know, girding up the loins of your mind, right? This helmet of salvation being put on. John Bunyan wrote this. He said, hope has a thick skin and will endure many a blow. It will put on patience as a vestment or a garment. It will wade through a sea of blood. It will endure all things if it be of the right kind for the joy that is set before it. He goes on and says, Hence patience is called patience of hope because it is hope that makes the soul exercise patience. Isn't that true? Hope makes the soul exercise patience and long-suffering under the cross until the time comes to enjoy the crown. What do we say between now and then? What do we have? This hope. We have this hope. Between the present and the future, we have this hope. 
hope worth holding, right? MacArthur said holding on is the human side of eternal security. But we know where this hope comes from. I mean, we're holding on. That's our side. But we're, how, what are we holding on to? The hope that God's given unto us. The hope that God causes to be made alive within us. To be made a living hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be always ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth, I'm going to read that again, I read it to you earlier, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope purifies himself even even as he is pure. So, set your affection on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Where our hope is, right? Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So when you think about that, that willful sinning and wanting to avoid that place by laying aside every weight of sin that does so easily besets, beset us, and being filled with this hope that we're talking about, this abounding hope, one man said this, the nearer to heaven in hopes, the nearer to heaven in hopes we are that we live in that place, He said, the farther from earth is desire, lust for the things of this this world. So the nearer to heaven and hopes, the farther from earth in desires. So we have an abounding hope to set our affection upon. Right? We have an abounding hope to set our affection upon. We are to abound in these things until he comes. I know, I'm weak, you're weak, but he's strong. This, this is a hope that he's given. This is a promise that he's given. This, we're relying upon him, not upon ourselves. So we have a great need, as we sang this morning, to run to Christ, right? Run to Christ in all these things, in all these troubles, all these ailments, all these afflictions, that we run to him who is our hope. That we run to him in whom our hope is. Is not just a hope, but it's an abounding hope. Our hope abounds in Christ. We have a great Savior to run unto, don't we? So, is this hope abounding in you? Is it a lively hope? Is it a living hope? Is it invigorating you? Is it putting, is it putting strength, you know, in, in every stride? Spiritually speaking, you know, is it not encouraging is it not something to set our affections upon? Is it not something to hope in, to rely upon, to look unto, to wait upon, to say, even so come, Lord Jesus? Well, hopefully, that's in a negative sense, isn't it? Maybe not. If I'm hoping in the Lord and having stirred you this morning in regards to hope, you have a little more abounding in this hope than you did when you first got here this morning. You know. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Where are you at this morning? Hmm? Where are you at this morning? Maybe we have need to cry unto the Lord and say, Lord, fill me. 
I, I, I know you're the reason why I'm full, so I'm asking that you would fill me. Fill me with this that's spoken of here in verse number 13, this joy and peace and believing that I might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, help me to abound in hope. If we abound in hope, what are we doing, really? We're glorifying Him, aren't we? If we're abounding in hope and the hope that we have in Christ, we're glorifying God, aren't we? We're rejoicing and praising Him. Well, any other thoughts this morning in regards to hope? Hope maketh not ashamed. It's, it's, it, since it is the hope that it is, how could we be? Are you going to be ashamed? Are you going to get to the end and say, boy, I'd hope that it was more than it is. I'd hope that I was going to, to, to gain an entrance in. I, was hope, I hoped I was going. No, it's not that. It's not that. No, it's, it's what Brother JT's talking about. You know, you're not going to be ashamed. You've put your hope in Him, you'll not be ashamed. It's an abounding hope. It's an overflowing hope. You know, I, I thought about it in the sense of my cup runneth over. You know, it's an abounding hope. And the cup's not just full, it's spilling over the sides. And it's going all over the table, you know. It, it's it's the, the ointment that was poured upon Aaron and went down his beard all the way to the border of the garment. You know, it's an abounding hope, right? Yeah. What else? Anything else? Lord, fill us with such a hope. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've, I've ever been as full as I could be. I could be filled some more, right? And how precious it would be to be filled to, to overflowing where I started to overflow on all of you. I've known people like that, haven't you? They were so full and abounding in this hope that they overflowed on the people around them. It's there, isn't it? You know, it, it's several things that have been said already this morning, and hymns that we've sung. You know, it's 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 there. Um, it's and and the Lord's continually bringing it before us, isn't He? He's in His Word. You know, in in the hymns that we sing. Um, you know, it's and, and it wells. It's not just it's not just external though. It, what would it be if it was just external? I mean, we could sing those hymns and then not have any hope in them. You know, we could read these words and then it's springing up from within us, shed abroad within us by the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, where would we be indeed without such a hope? Except for the grace of God, hmm, there go I. You can look at some of the people around you that have no hope. That could be us. We could be without hope, without God, without Christ in the world. But it's not so of you, brethren. Those of you who are in Christ, you have reason to have an abounding hope, an abounding hope.